Welcome to New Life Miami, and thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope this word blesses you today. For more information, visit nlmiami.com. We hope to see you soon. And remember, you are loved. We're going to get started and we're going to get in the word and, and, and it'll be um, recorded so you could always go back and listen to it. So praise God for that. And if as we record today's, I encourage you to listen to even last week's message as well. Because I want to continue to speak to you on, a, on, a, on this theme about responding. But before we get into that, um, we, we've had the opportunity, we had the opportunity uh, this week to honor um, the life of Billy Graham through his passing. And um, people just paused and many churches, I'm sure today, are honoring him and speaking of him and, and, and probably preaching some of his old sermons. I'm not necessarily preaching one of his sermons today, um, but I do want to take time and, and, and just honor him and thank God for people like Billy Graham that he's given us as a gift to our nation and to this world. And um, the reason why I wanted to mention Billy Graham is because what an amazing... What an amazing modern-day figure that we, could dis- that we could just point at to say uh, as an individual who responded to God's call and to God's love. And um, uh, what a, w- one day we'll get to heaven and we'll shake his hand and we'll say thank you for responding to his great love over your life. Amen? And, um, and I think that was evident. I've heard so many pastors and so many testimonies. Of, of Billy Graham's life, and it was uh, just a life that responded to his greater, God's greater call over his life. I mean, so humbling, um, and yet so powerful what God did through that man. I've uh, had the privilege to go to his library and see it all, and then see where he was going to eventually be dug, and, and now he's, he's placed in the ground there next to his wife. But, but praise God for, for men and women that respond to, to that great love and call. One of the greatest I saw so many great posts and pictures that were put up, but one of the greatest ones that I saw is this one that we're going to put up on the screen, and it's from Louis Giglio, and he and he put this picture up of of um, Billy Graham when when he passed, and it was a a moment where they transferred his body over to Washington, and they took him up to the Capitol Rotunda, and if you know anything, um, you know presidents lay there, and and certain only four citizens of the United States have been have had um, a session like this from their passing. Um, some sort of wake um, at the return. Only four, only four regular citizens that were not U.S. presidents or so or whatnot. And Billy Graham is one of them. And I love what Louis Giglio put. He put the word honor, and he 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 referenced First Samuel chapter two verse thirty, and he wrote, "He who honors me, I will honor." And um, I think that's pretty amazing. It's just just you know, I think it's a a man who 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 did not take sides on, on, on republic, uh, what party he belonged to, whether Republican or Democrat, and he saw past that. And as he sat even with presidents and stuff, he saw the soul of man, and his heart was to love whoever was in office and, and whoever. I mean, I heard a story of him going to, like, one of those Woodstocks. He was having a revival in the same city, and he found out that Woodstock was happening, and he just went to, like, one of these rock concerts, whatever, Woodstocks, whatever it was, and he just started to walk around the crowd, just talking to people and praying over them. <laughs> does that, man. Billy Graham does that stuff. And uh, that was pretty cool to hear a story like that. So, so I guess God honors, you know, he honors the one who honors him. Amen? 
And I think we could look at that as honor. He responded. He responded. And, and God says, I respond back. You know, and I respond, you respond, I respond. It's so good. And um, what, what an honor it is. Praise God. So I want to get into the message in, in speaking about responding. And, and my, if you're writing notes, you should write a lot of notes today. Because I want to talk about respond, what responding looks like. So the message and title of this is, is responding looks like, and it's meant to kind of leave a blank. Responding looks like. Responding looks like. And I'm going to talk about maybe four words that God dropped in my heart this week. And um, I was able to, just to, to share them. I'm going to share them with you. <clears throat> kind of different kind of message today. But nonetheless, we're going to get into the word and, and just read verses together. And hopefully as we read them. God gives us insight of what to speak about as we read it. Hallelujah. But we've been talking about something needs to give, right? Something needs to give. And if you don't know what we're talking about, go, go at least to last week and listen to the last three to four weeks. And we, we, we mentioned Mary um, last week. Mary, and not Mary the, the mother of Jesus, but Mary who was Lazarus' sister. And Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. And she is the one that was known for sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha was observing a lot in the kitchen. But not only is she known now, we went into last week, not only is she known for sitting at the feet of Jesus while Martha is serving and she's sitting receiving from him, she's also known for being the one that also grabs a very expensive fragrant and breaks it and pours it all over Jesus' head and feet. Okay? And Judas is like, what in the world are you doing? You could have sold that for so much money. Why are you giving that to his feet? And then he tries to act spiritual and holy about it, which is not true. He's like, we could have given that to the poor. And there was nothing about Judas that wanted to give it to the poor. If you continue to read that passage, it says because he often stole, the, since he took care of the money, he often stole the disciples' money and used it on his own. So, so he's, a, he's just a liar. But, but we, we got to see a little bit of Mary's life and her response to the Lord, which was to give him what was most costly of most value because she's met the one who is of most value to her. So I'm going to release the all of me unto the one who is of most value to me. You guys are with me? All right. So she found this. I want to kind of review this for a moment. She found that her greatest expression towards him at this moment, it was Jesus right before her. And she found that her greatest expression towards him her greatest expression in responding towards him is to give him what was most costly. And uh, I told you a little bit last week about when Lazarus said, hey, we're going to have a dinner party. We're going to invite some friends, some family members, and everyone over because Jesus who resurrected me is coming. So I'm going to cook him his favorite meal, which I, we said that's fitting because he just resurrected you from the dead. No matter what he's cooked for the guy. Everyone, you know, it's proven that when someone else cooks for you, the food tastes better than when you cook it for yourself. You know that, right? All right. So he cooks for him, and Jesus shows up, and Martha's like, oh, snap, Jesus is coming. So what does she think automatically? We, we went over this last week. Do you know the answer? She automatically, she put on her what mode? Servant mode. I got to serve, serve mode. I got to get the kitchen ready. I got to get the house ready, and I got to start cooking and getting the food because the crowds are coming. <laughs> That's Martha. Mary says, oh, Jesus is coming? Cool. I got to go to my room and find, I got to run around the house and find What's of most value so I could offer it up to him? And she runs around the house. And I told you, I don't really think she was flipping over tables and beds and making a mess in her closet. I don't think any of that. Because I think because it was such an expensive fragrance, she knew exactly what was that. And she was keeping that in a high place so that no one steals it, uses it, or breaks it. So she went right to what's most value. Jesus, come, what time is he getting here? 
And when he shows up, he, she breaks that thing over and she pours, not over his head, that would be bad, but she, <laughs> she pours it over his head and she pours it over his feet. I mean, what a resp- isn't that an amazing response to the Lord? To give what's most costly because he was of most value to her. So her giving this perfume, I said, was also symbolic uh, for her giving her life fully. And, and making that <clears throat> or marking that a moment of, of most value. I'll never forget this moment and I'll never forget the one who I did it to. I'm committed, I'm devoted to the one who first showed his commitment and his devotion towards me. Man. How many of you have experienced God's commitment and God's devotion towards you? Praise God. So if you said yes, amen, or raise your hand or nodded your head, then that is what now? Now there is a call for your commitment and your great devotion towards him. Can the same person say, amen? <laughs> so, so, so we have to respond in such, a, in such fashion. So listen to this. Review. Mary was faithful. Mary was committed. She was devoted in finding the feet of Jesus. But can I tell you something that, that is so true? And I don't want you to ever forget this because this is what happens. A lot of people get let down when men of God and women of God fail. And especially when they're big time people, whatever you want to call that. We call them like mega whatever. Mega preachers or mega pastors or mega... Whatever, you, whatever title you give them, right? And, and these guys fall and then our whole world comes crumbling. And they're like, oh my God, you know, the man of God fell. Well, for some cases, some of those men and women knew them and they reconciled their life to the Lord. But I could tell you this. I could tell you that not everyone around Jesus is actually of Jesus. Is that biblical? Jesus had 12 disciples. He called one of them Satan. Jesus had 12 disciples. One of them was going to betray him. Not everyone that is around Jesus is of Jesus. I mean, I'm cool with that. Like, I understand that. I mean, I'm, I'm up here and I'm just saying you're all of Jesus. But, but come on. I don't know if that's actually true. But, but, but the reality is the 12 disciples, there was one there that was around him but wasn't of him. And Jesus always pointed that. And actually, <clears throat> how, do, how do you know? Actually, this is good to ask. How do you know that Judas was not one of Jesus? Because of his what? Because of his response. His response to the one was to betray him. So we knew right there that it was evidence that he, he wasn't. What's your response? We, man, the men got into some crazy dialogue on, on our last um, on Monday in our, med, in our men's gathering. And we were like, what was that we were talking about men? We, we were like, I forgot, I just went blank. I have it out of my mind, so forgive me. <laughs> what did I say? No, no, we're not going to get into it. All right, let's get into this. <laughs> That's dangerous. So, so Judas, I'll, I'll find it in my brain somewhere, and then um, I'll release it when it, comes, when, it, when it reminds me. So not everyone around Jesus is of Jesus and has Jesus in them. So I could easily tell you, ask Judas Iscariot. He was around him, but he wasn't of him. Jesus was not in him. But the ones who have found and live in, listen, the ones who have found and live in daily encounters at his feet, in deep devotion, have received of what's of greatest value. I believe that. Judas Iscariot was present. He was there. He was present. The man, such an amazing, listen to how I'm going to describe him to you for a moment. Judas Iscariot. The man who walked with Jesus, participated in miracles with Jesus. He saw firsthand the dead come to life, the sick healed, the multitudes fed from nothing or from a little bit. 
he heard the very voice of God, most likely on multiple occasions. I mean, the very voice of the Father, and, and then he heard the voice of God through the Son, obviously. He saw divine things. He slept, he sat, he ate with the one that Scripture says was before all things, and all things that are are created by him, for him, and through him. This is Judas we're talking about. Are you guys understanding that? Let's flip the coin. Next side, the next side of that coin, ready? Mary now, the same person of the story, Mary. Mary saw less. She experienced less than Judas. But yet her response was more. She gave all. She found everything in nothing. She found fullness in emptying. And she received the revelation living out before her. When Judas did somewhat of three years with this man, and the revelation didn't hit him that I'm doing life with the one and only Son of God, God in the flesh, living out before me. I mean, it's so, it's so amazing to see these two comparisons. The way Mary responds to him and the way that Judas responds to Jesus. My reasoning in preaching these messages for the last three weeks or whatnot is because I believe the Lord wants to show us what responding to him looks like or what it may look like in your life. Just to give some examples. And, and we went over some biblical examples week one of when we started to talk about this. And we, we looked at individuals, especially in the New Testament. And we just picked popular ones because there, there are so many. But we picked out popular ones of New Testament individuals who encountered the Lord's presence. And in encounter, listen, in encountering the Lord's presence, they were then called to respond to that encounter. Everyone say, or write this on your notes, respond to that encounter. You should write that. You should text that to someone. I don't know. Respond to that encounter. And each one of these had an encounter, but, but needed to respond to that encounter. So we, we went over a couple of people. N number one, we spoke on week one about this woman that we constantly keep calling the adulterous woman. But in heaven, she is not called the adulterous woman. <laughs> We're going to get there. like, where's the adulterous woman? And Jesus is going to look at you and say, we don't know her by that name here. What's her name? My beloved, my daughter. I love her. She sits up. <laughs> she's right here. I put actually her throne and she's sitting right next to mine. That's <laughs> awesome. She's right there with me. You, because that's what we do well. Christians do that good. We, we know like, oh, that guy in my church, the ex-drug addict. <laughs> Jesus doesn't do that in, in glory. Oh, the ex-murderer. Oh, that guy used to be. A Jesus doesn't do that before his angels and he doesn't do that in glory. Okay? He says son and daughter and he calls you to a place of deep intimacy right away. Bam! And he looks past. That's why the Bible says love covers a multitude of sin. So he doesn't, he doesn't title or label you what we as a church do very well. So we look at her as the adulterous woman. Jesus looks at her as a woman that takes the gospel of her region and, and who knows what else he might. We'll see what he sees her at in, in glory when we get there. But the adulterous woman is a very interesting story. I'm not going to get into it again because we've already gone over this. But, but she's caught in the very act of adultery. She's presented before Jesus in the synagogue as he's teaching. As you know this, whenever a rabbi taught, every one of his disciples sat down and listened. A sign of sitting down was that a teaching was about to take place. 
So they weren't standing, everyone was sitting, and who comes in through the back door? The Pharisees and the religious leaders, they make a big commotion, and they're dragging probably a naked woman that is in the crowds of people. So everyone's like, oh my God, don't look, and then, you know, whatever. Some of them are looking, some of them are not. Jesus is like, what's going on? Which I, He's sovereign, so he knows what's going on. And they bring this woman to Jesus, and they said, Jesus, the law of Moses says that such a woman caught in the very act of adultery should be stoned right now. And Jesus looks at them all, doesn't say a word. They continue to harass Jesus. He gets on the floor. He starts to write on the ground, and then he gets back up, and then he says this. Here's my answer. What wisdom does he have? He says, the, whichever one of you who is without sin, go ahead and cast the first stone. The young and the old, with rocks in their hand, ready to stone her, dropped their rocks and walked away from the synagogue away from Jesus and away from the woman that we know as the adulterous woman and next thing you know it's Jesus and this woman all by herself he finally looks up to at her and um, and she looks at him and he asks the, the greatest question he says where are your accusers she looks around she looks at Jesus says they're nowhere to be found and he says neither do I find any accusation upon your life what does he tell her next Go play the lotto. You just want, you just. <laughs> Today's your lucky day. Go play the lotto. Because you should be dead. <laughs> That's not what he told her. He told her something greater than that. Go and sin no more. What is that called? Respond to what just happened here. You guys see that? I just passed all accusations on you. So now what your life should portray is. Go and sin no more. What does that look like? What does that mean? Respond to this encounter. Isn't that amazing? Okay, I can't continue because I could just go into a whole other preaching on that. But number two, we talked about the man in Bethesda, the Bethesda man. Guys, we're going to go to some of these places and you're going to see more or less where this man was at. When we go to Israel in a couple months, we could almost say weeks already. It's pretty cool. But the Bethesda man is there and he's lame for about 38 years and we know him as the lame man by the pool. In glory, again, he's not known as that. And Jesus comes up to him and says, do you want to be made well? He says, well, of course I do. You know that very well. I want to be made well. I've been here for 38 years. And every time I try to get next to this pool for healing, someone comes over me and they make it to the waters before I could ever make it to the waters. Of course, you know, I want to. And Jesus just looks at him. Mind you, doesn't ignore everything he just says, but just surpasses everything he says. And he says, all right, this is what we're going to do. Ready? Forget the pool. Watch this. Here's, here, forget the waters. Here's the water. <laughs> Pick up your mat and walk. What Jesus was doing to this man was he, was he was introducing him to a greater water source than the water source that he thought was going to heal him. The man by the pool thought, if I enter into those waters, I'll be healed. Jesus knew if these waters enter into you, then, yeah. Oh, man, I love this word of God. If, I ent if this water enters into your life, then you're going to be healed. Why are you waiting to enter waters when I'm just waiting for waters to enter you? How many of you are waiting to enter waters? You got it wrong. Waters want to enter you. Waters want to enter you. When waters enter you, now you respond. So what does he do? Waters enter him. Go and sin no more, right? Why do I know that? Because he goes to the, to the, <laughs> he goes to the temple to worship. I'm healed. I could walk for the first time 40 years. I could walk. I could walk. It's the Sabbath. You're not allowed to be healed on the Sabbath. Man, religious people do stupid things. Okay? And say stupid things. And really treat others very stupidly. I know it's not a word, but whatever. <laughs> so what happens? He's at the, the church and he's worshiping. He's like, why are you healed? You shouldn't be healed. You should actually be paralyzed again. And he's like, there's a man that came by the pool and healed me. I don't know what his name is, but I'm good. I'm walking. Sorry that I broke your Sabbath and I got healed. 
the Bible is so good because Scripture teaches us that what he has started, he's faithful to finish it. He's going to complete, he's going to finish the work that he started. How do I know that? Because later on in the evening, Jesus runs into it. I don't think that's a, oh, wow. What a, the man that I healed earlier. No, I think it was Jesus' plan to run right back into him to finally have the great dialogue with him. Hey, you're healed, right? What does he tell him? Sin no more lest a worse thing happen to you. If you thought being laid by the pool for 38 years was bad, I'm going to tell you right now, you better start living a life responding so that a worse thing doesn't even happen to you. Because you know what? I think God is so loving. I think God is so loving that he will cripple you for you to fall in love with him. For some of you, that's very hard to hear. But it's not when I hear Paul say three times I pray for this thing to be released from me and three times the Lord told me I will not but my grace is sufficient for you. So it's cool to come to be broken to fall deeper in love. Because God's like, if I didn't break you, maybe you would have never entered this love. So I rather the Bible, come on, this is biblical stuff. It's better for you to enter into heaven with one eye than with, one, with both eyes. It's better for you to enter into heaven, you cut one hand off, than you enter to, to hell with both hands. I will <laughs> I feel like I don't know if you guys are getting that, but but go and do that. Number three, the woman at the well, that's how we know her. That's not how he knows her. The woman at the well, same exact thing. If you, why are you here? I'm coming to get water. You're going to walk miles back home? Absolutely, I am. And who are you going to give it to? My husband. He's like, why don't you tell your husband? Um, he's, and Well, the thing is, I don't have a husband. He's like, you're, you're right. You don't have a husband to come over here and meet me because you've had five. And the one that you're shacking it up with right now is not your husband either. And he gives this whole teaching. And then what does he tell her? He says, if you only knew who speaks to you today, you would ask for his waters. And his waters will give you rivers of living life that bubble up inside of you. I know that she received it. How do I know she received it? The scripture says she left her bucket by the well and she ran back and she told, guess who she tells? She's very popular in this town and she tells all the men, hey, come and meet the one who just told me everything I ever did and everyone I ever knew and everything I, and, and the men said, what? You heard about our business? And they all, so, they all start running back to Jesus to hear for himself. The woman's bucket is still there. Why? Because she no longer needed the bucket to fill her and to, to quench her. There was a waters that filled. She, waters got into her so she didn't have to draw water anymore. It was, it was so, the picture was so spiritual and so deeper than the physical picture that we see with the letters of the Bible. And the woman's life was transformed. We know that. If you study through history, her life, she took the gospel to that region, that region where she was living in, in Samaria. The woman at the well is no longer the woman with a lot of men at the well. She's actually the woman that goes back to her town and becomes a mighty evangelist for Jesus. Okay? People are in heaven because of her. Powerful. What was her call? Respond. What was the response? Come meet the Jesus I met. Her life was a constant response to the encounter at the well. You feeling me? Peter. Remember that one? Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Yes. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Go feed my sheep. The third time, he's like, Lord, I'm really getting bothered that you're asking me. You know I love you. Feed my sheep. I told you three weeks ago that that was more about God, God confirming his love for him than it is about restoring Peter for him. It, it, it was more like, I'm just showing you that I still love you. And he says, what? Go feed my sheep. Peter had to now what? Because of that encounter of reconciliation with the Lord after he denied him when the rooster crowed, now he had to what? Go feed my sheep. What is that called? Respond to this great encounter you just had. Everyone there? 
Last but not least, Zacchaeus, he's walking down. The, and then I love that I told you that sometimes you don't have to get to Jesus. Jesus gets to where you're at. How many of you, Jesus came to where you're at? I didn't go to Jesus. Jesus showed up to my door and said, open up, I'm coming in. Like, it's good. So he shows up to the tree. Wow, to the tree that Zacchaeus was hanging on. Not hanging on. Grabbing on to. And um, he says, Zacchaeus, come down. Today I'm going to go to your house. And the whole household is saved. Zacchaeus, now is called to respond. Salvation enters his heart. A man that was hated all around town. And now he is responding. How do I know he's responding? I'm going to give back what I've stolen to everyone. And not only am I going to give back, but I'm going to give fourfold. I'm going to give them even more for the hassle that I caused. You know what that's called? Repentance. I'm going to make things right and even better. Responding. Guys, those are, in, those are encounters of responding, and I want to make sure you understand that. Each one of them had to be responsible with what was given. I want you to write that on your notes. I need to be responsible with what has been given to me. I need to be, res- I'm going to teach you today. I need to be responsible with what has been given to me. I need to be responsible. How many of you has something from heaven been given to you, and you haven't been responsible unto that? You need to be responsible to what the Lord has given you. You need to be responsible to it. Okay? Amen? Very quiet today. You want the lights up? <laughs> put the lights on. Angel, put the front ones on. All right. No, leave the back ones off. I like it dark in the back and light in the front. All right. Angel needs hearing aids. <laughs> love you, brother. Everyone say, good job, Angel. He's doing good. We love him. We love him. He's my brother. All right. <clears throat> Each one of us has to be responsible with what has given, been given to us. Is it biblical? Yes. It, write this down in your notes. It reminds me of Luke chapter 12, verse 30, 48. Luke 12, 48. Listen to these words. They'll pop up in the screen and write the, the, the reference on your notes so you could go back and study this. Luke chapter 12, verse 48. The very words of Jesus. For everyone to whom much is given, from him much will be required. And to whom much has been committed, of him they will ask the more. The Passion Translation says it this way. For those who have received a greater revelation from their master are required a greater obedience. And those who have been entrusted with great responsibility will be held more responsible to their master. We must be responsible with what's been given to us. What's been given to you. Probably, we could all admit, the greatest thing that could ever be given to any human being. Right? There has to be a a response Stability in that now. A responsibility in that. So, very important. There is, maybe I should tell you this. Write this down. This is the truth, ready? Truth is, not everyone responds with humility and with great honor. Not everyone responds with humility and great honor. It's all over the Bible. But to help you, I picked two very popular known examples. But not everyone, when they come to encounter this, not everyone responds to this encounter with humility and great honor. How do I know that? Because there was a man called the rich young ruler. One of my favorite pastor uh, preachers calls him the poor young slave. He says he wasn't a rich young ruler. When you really come to know him, he's the poor young slave. But the man that we know as the rich young ruler... He comes to Jesus and says, what do I have to do to accept to have eternal life? Jesus says what? Obey the Ten Commandments. He says, I've done this since I was a little kid. He said, you said that right, but this is what you're going to do. Ready? So everything you have and give it to the poor and then come and follow me. 
the man, scripture says that the rich young ruler walks away. Was he really rich young ruler? No, he was actually a slave to his earthly material things. And it's, the Bible says he walked away with sadness, away from the Lord. That's called an apostasy. We're going to look at another one. Apostasy is coming to the truth and then turning away from truth, walking away from truth. That's called apostasy. So the man comes before truth, receives the truth. I've done that. Yes, I'm in agreement. Oh, but give away everything that's of high worth to me? No. I like how I live here on earth and my material things and the things that I feel real comfortable with. And scripture says he walked away. Why would he walk away with sadness if he's walking away with all the things that he supposedly loved? Well, that's a whole other preaching for a whole other day. But, but the man walks away with sadness, the rich young ruler, or if you want to call him the poor young slave. What does that show us? Here it is. Not everyone responds with humility and with great honor. He walks away with sadness. Hopefully later on in his life he comes to serve the Lord. But at this moment we don't see him responding properly to the Lord. He still responded, but it wasn't his proper response. His response was walking away with sadness. It was not entering into a place of joy. <laughs> You're a hard crowd today. Okay. John chapter 6, write this down in your notes. Really, if you go home, I have a perfect devotional for you this week. It's a long chapter. So you could break it down like 10 verses each day this week. John chapter 6. Okay, go home and read it tomorrow morning, Tuesday, and just chew on it. Awesome passage. John chapter 6, Jesus starts to teach crazy stuff. He's like, come on, I want to. He's before a massive crowd. He's like, I'm, all right, I'm going to take you guys deeper. <laughs> I'm going to wow you guys. I'm going to, I'm going to, what is that thing? Flip your wig or, I don't know. There's a saying like that. Something about your wig. Anyone know it? We're not Hialeah. Someone knows it. <laughs> Liars. Flip your wig. Is it flip your wig? I'm going to flip your wig. Whatever. So he has a massive crowd. We know that there's a crowd of followers that John chapter 6 says his disciples. He calls them his disciples. Why? Because the disciple is a student under a teacher. They continue to fall under Jesus' teachings and they're learning from Jesus' teachings. These are not just a crowd that showed up for the day. John chapter 6 is actually a crowd that has been with Jesus for a while. Are you, are you, are you understand? For a while. These were disciples. These were students under him, the rabbi, the teacher. So one day Jesus is like, all right, I'm going to really, I'm going to really bug these guys out. I'm going to see who's real. <laughs> I'm going to take them to a deeper place. You know, whenever we start preaching and, 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 and telling the church, come on, there's, there's deeper places, there's deeper devotion. There's de I believe numbers start to dwindle before they start to grow again. Because not everyone wants to go deeper with the Lord. Wait, keep preaching and keep doing church in a comfortable place. So what does Jesus do? He's like, all right, you guys have been comfortable. You've seen me do signs and wonders and miracles, but now I'm going to mess around with you. Watch this. Now you're going to have to start eating my flesh and drinking my blood. And he starts to tell them, eat me and drink me. I mean, I'm not obviously not like that in those words, but study it. And he's taking, when you really start to study that passage, he's really taking them to a place of, of a deeper place where, where he wants them to take from him. He wants to be in them and part of them. And, and any time there's a union, that is, that is a sign of intimacy. Friends have intimacy because we come in agreement and we're friends and we do life together. Spouses and, and, and all these things. There's so many forms of intimacy. And Jesus wanted to see in the crowd who's going to be intimate with me. And intimate, intimacy it comes in many forms. And in this form is, will you eat of my body and will you drink of my blood? And as he began to teach of his body and his blood, the body that was going to be what? Crucified on the cross and the blood that was going to be poured for man's sin and all that. 
The Bible says that, John chapter 6 says that as the disciples and the crowd began to hear Jesus' teaching about his body and his blood, they said, who could hear this and understand this? This saying is too difficult for us. And scripture says, I think I wrote it down exactly how it says it. From that time, many of his disciples went back, went back and walked with him no more. That's called apostasy. They were walking with Jesus. Yeah, I don't like this message anymore. And they turned back. They went back. What do you think went back means? They went back to their former way of living. Back to their formal residence. They went back and it was too hard for them. That's called apostasy. Now this is powerful. Why? Because the rich young ruler and the massive crowd in John chapter, and it's funny because preachers always like to play with that stuff. You know, it's John chapter 6 verse 66. It's no coincidence that it's 666. Man, whatever, it just happened to land on John 6, 6, 6. And, and many turned away from him, and causing this great apostasy and followed him no more. We see two popular examples and two responses that are negative. Both responses, they turn away from Jesus to follow him no more. Are you understanding that? When God calls you to such an encounter, and when he comes for you to receive such a love, there is a responsibility to that which is given to you. You need to understand that. Because I'm going to tell you something right now. Every single one of those disciples from John chapter 6 verse 66 all had to stand before his presence one day and have to answer to the day that they turned their back on the beloved one, Jesus Christ their Messiah. There's a responsibility to that which has been given to you. Okay? So important. So I'm going to go back to what I said minutes ago. Truth is, not everyone responds with humility and with great honor. Amen? Let's start the message. Number one, God has no time. It's quick. Number one, here it is. Write this down in your notes. Respond, say this with me. Responding looks like, ready? I whispered it. You said it. Responding looks like. Number one, and there's so many, but I picked four that God was just stirring in my heart. Number one, respond, write this down in notes. Responding looks like surrender. Responding looks like surrender. What do I do now? I got to respond. Here it is. Surrender. I'm going to walk away sad from this one. Surrender it all. Surrender it. Surrender. Everyone say surrender. surrender. Everyone put your, put, your, put your arms up. Freeze. That's a sign of surrender. Put it down. You guys look beautiful doing that. No, I'm, I'm being serious because I almost feel like that's the posture that God wants you to be before him. It's just surrender. Surrender that your hearts will be like that. Do it one more time. Surrender. Freeze. So beautiful. That's a beautiful sign, man. It's beautiful. Let's put it back down. We should take a group picture after church and all of us is like that. <laughs> Responding looks like surrender. You cut. I'm done. Seriously. Like when we do this kind of stuff, you know, I don't know where to put the mic. But when we do this stuff, like, and we do surrender, what are we telling the law enforcement? You caught me or I'm done or here. No more. I like, this, I like this translation. The chase is over. The chase is over. And I love that the first thing they tell you is, is either get on your knees 
or get on your phone. I almost feel like, like the law enforcement because it's the law enforcement and there's a law that, it, <laughs> whatever, that's a whole revelation about God's law. But, but I, feel like, I feel like when they say get on the floor, it's almost like it's a reminder what's happening to you because physically because of your sin. But, but it's also a reminder to your heart and to your soul that that's exactly what God wants us to do. Freeze and you lift up your hands. I, I'm done. The chase is over. And the first thing you do after lift up your hands is. And, and I love this posture. Because it's a posture of the chase is over. And then you put, you put your arms behind your back and, and then you let him chain you up with his love. And then you know where he takes you, this law enforcement? He takes you to the chambers that hopefully if you're, not a, you're a prisoner of love rather than a prisoner of crime. Of just come and receive from me and just have a good time with me and, and know me. Number one, responding looks like? Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, 6, 7, and 8. Here's his, he, I can't tell you this. I can't do this without showing you his first great example. We've preached this so many times here. I'm just going to read verses 5 through 8, Philippians 2. A lot of, a lot of, a lot of notes today, a lot of verses today. More, more of a teaching like if you were one of the high, old high school students of mine. Verse 5, you must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Amen? Though he was God, he did not, lie, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Everyone say instead. Everyone say Rather. He gave up, instead, he gave up, rather, he gave up his divine privileges and he took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. And when he appeared in human form, verse 8, he humbled himself in obedience. Let me tell you something. Yes, he's God on earth. Yes, he's Jesus. But I want you to know that something very of high worth was also given to him. And because something was given to Jesus, he also had, to res he had the responsibility of what was given to him by the Father. And because he had such a responsibility, his life had to what? Bring forth a what? Worthy response to the father. And what was the son's worthy response of resp in responsibility to the father look like? Here it is. Ready? He gave up divine privileges. He took humble position of a slave. Was born as a human being. He humbled himself in obedience to God. To the father. He humbled himself in obedience and he died as a criminal dies on a cross. Guys, the greatest example. What is Jesus teaching us? If you're going to respond like anything, learn from your example what responding looks like. Here I am, Jesus says. Look at me. How did I respond? I responded with my life being one of surrender. So how do you think you need to respond? You need to surrender. Guys, I'm not here to give you 15 points of what you need to surrender to. You know very well because you know your very life what you need to surrender to. you got to make a decision in your life already whether you're going to surrender that stuff and say the chase is over. Number one, responding looks like what? Another, amen. Matthew chapter 10 verses 38. Matthew chapter 10 verses 38. And then I'm going to, sorry for this, but I'm going to fly and run through pages, and I'm going to go to chapter 16, verse 24. I'm going to read two passages to you. They say the same thing. Here's Jesus' very words. You with me? It says, Jesus, and he who does not take up his cross and follow after me is not what? Wow. Is not worthy of me. Verse, chapter 16, verse 24, same book. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him what? deny himself take up his cross and follow me are you guys seeing this you gotta get to a place where you surrender and in your surrendering you will start to take up something of greater value and it might look like an amazing cross take up your cross that cross you're gonna walk around it you, you don't know you don't know the valleys and you don't know the city you don't know the places you're gonna go with that cross on your back take up your cross and follow me but you need to surrender 
If not, you're never going to be my disciple. I want you to understand this. These are not my words, so you can't get mad at me. Jesus will never call you a disciple if you haven't gotten to a place of obedience and surrender. You can't say that. I could say that. Jesus' very words just said it. If anyone wants to be my disciple, he needs to what? Surrender. He needs to live in this obedience. You need to figure out what that looks like in your life. Why? Because disciple is on the line. <laughs> and I, I, I don't want to lose that. I want to grow deeper in that. So what do I have to do? Be obedient into the, unto that surrender. Amen? I think that's good. 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 19, 20, all the way to 22, actually. Let's read that. 1 Corinthians, Paul's letter. Check this out. You're going to love it. Even though I, I am a free man with no master, I have become slave to all people to bring many to Christ. When I was with the Jews, I lived like a Jew to bring the Jews to Christ. When I was with those who follow the Jews, those who follow the Jewish law, I too lived under the law. Even though I am no, I'm not subject to the law, I did this so that I could bring to Christ those who are under the law. Do you understand what Paul's saying? The law, the things of this world, the things of this world don't even contain me anymore because I belong to another world that holds my life together. I belong to a greater law. I don't belong to the grip and to the hold of the customs of this world. So I'll do things in this world to show you who Jesus is, but I want you to know that I belong to a whole other world which I'm obedient to. It doesn't even matter if I'm hanging out with Jews and whether I break the law or if I obey the law. Because at the end of the day is I'm obeying a greater law, and it is the one who, man. So he says all these things, right? He says, when I was in the law, I, did, I could bring those to Christ who were under it. When I was with the Gentiles who did not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law so I could bring them to Christ. When I was with Jews, I wasn't eating pigs. When I was with the Gentiles, I was roasting pigs. I'm just giving you an example. It's not at all what he meant. But something like that. We had lechon with them. I did not with the other guys. Not because I'm a hypocrite necessarily, but because now I'm under a greater law that has set me free. But I would do whatever I can for man so that I could come to know Jesus, so that they could come to know Jesus Christ. What is wrong with Paul? His life has been given something of such great worth that now he had to live in with such a great responsibility to what's been given to him. So what does he say next? When I'm with the Gentiles who do not follow the Jewish law, I too live apart from that law, bring them to Christ. But I do not ignore the law of God. I obey the law of Christ. When I am with those who are weak, I share their weaknesses. For I, brought, I want to bring the weak to Christ. Yes, I try to find common ground with everyone, doing everything I can to save some. I feel like in that whole phrase right there, Paul's like, don't get me wrong, I'm not perfect. I mess it up sometimes, but I'm trying my best to do whatever I can with the weak brethren, and, and I'm doing whatever I can. But I want you to know that my life is in continual surrender unto the Lord and into the church. He's called me to be an apostle over. I'm going to serve him, and I'm going to serve them because I've recognized that my response looks like a total surrender to him and to his bride. I know that because later on in one of his writings, he says what? My whole duty in life is to present you to him as a chaste virgin, that I didn't pollute you or harm you in any kind of way. So what is he saying? I've surrendered myself also to you. I almost feel like I'm not an apostle at all. But I'm going to tell you today, for me to leave the hospital room to be here is because I feel like I have a responsibility to be here to tell you today that response looks like surrender. <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's greater. I feel like... I feel, like, I feel like Paul understood that. I get, I get what Paul's saying. What are you going? I, I, I don't neglect them, but I, I'm not going to neglect you either. There's a message that God stirred in my heart, and I got to make sure the church knows that. 
Responding looks like surrender. Have you written that yet? I'm going to give you time to write it, so I'm going to give you one more, maybe two more passages. Mark chapter 10, verses 28 through 31, it says this. Then Peter began to speak up. We've given up everything to follow you, he said. Another translation says, New King James says, we've left it all and followed you. And yes, Jesus replies, and I assure you that everyone who has given up house or brothers or sisters or mother or father or children or, po- or property for my sake and for the good news of the gospel will receive it now in return a hundred times as many houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, and property. I believe that. I have one sister, but in this room, I have so much more than one sister. I've gained, for the sake of the gospel, I've gained brothers and sisters. I have no brother, but I could tell you today I have many brothers. How do I know that? <laughs> what happened to me this week showed me I have brothers in my life. Showed me I have sisters in my life. How many of you have gone through something in your life and has shown you that you have brothers and you have sisters in your life? Praise the Lord for these hands. That's, that's the sake of the gospel. So Jesus is like, yes, you're right, you've given up everything. But I'm telling you that in giving up, you actually, without you even knowing, you gained so much more. Hundred times, houses, brothers, sisters, mothers, children, property, along with persecution. So, so you know, he's not going to fool around with you either and preach you this candy-coated gospel. He's like, trust me, you're going to gain so much. And the beauty of gaining is you're also going to be persecuted. Some, you know, that phrase, the best is yet to come, sometimes that phrase could also mean persecution. The best is yet to come, but I'm being persecuted. That's exactly what we were talking about when we said that. Why? Because in that persecution, will you experience the presence and the glory of God? And in the fire, you say, the best is here with me. Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they weren't burning in the fires. They were dancing and rejoicing with the one who stood with them in the fire. The best is yet to come. Yes, because the one who is best is with you when those things come. Man, I don't even know why I'm going to tell you, but... But Jesus says, children, property, along with persecution, the best is yet to come. Even in persecution. Amen? And in the world to come, that person will have eternal life. But many who are the greatest now, oh man, this is so good, will be of least important then. I was talking to someone this week about something that relates to this. Will be of least important then. And those who seem least important now will be of greatest then. Man, don't look at an image and think that it's grander. Because what it might on earth look grander, is that the word, grandeur, grandeur, might be in eternity less. And what you might be doing right now that seems like less in eternity might be more. It's in the waiting. Peter says, we've given up everything to follow you. And Jesus says, and you've done right. You've gained so much more. But but I'm walking, you guys know the history of Peter? You've done right. You've gained so much more. But how can you tell me that if I'm walking to the cross that I'm going to be crucified on as well? How do I know Peter gained more? Because when he got to the cross, he says, actually, don't put that cross like that. Put it upside down because I'm not worthy to die my master's death. (laughs) That's someone that has gained more. Historians say that as he was walking to the cross, he was singing songs unto the cross. He was worshiping that he gets to die in the same fashion that his Savior. If you ask, oh, man, but he died early. and No, he, he died right. He died well. He gained more. We saw it even in death. Man, I could just, 
All right, just in case you haven't written it yet. Ready? Responding looks like what? Why am I continuing to? Because you need to leave. I'm going to jam this in your mind so you understand that responding looks like surrender. Can I give you one more passage? Maybe two, maybe three more. Here we go. John chapter 14. Everyone say, there is no time in heaven. <laughs> Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. <laughs> You've been praying for heaven to come to earth, so there's no time. John 14, verses 12. All right, listen, write this down in your notes. John 14, write 12, comma, I'm going to skip to 15. I don't have time to go into the whole passage, forgive me. I shouldn't say that, I have time. The Lord, the Lord rebuke me. All right, guys, I tell you the truth, anyone, okay, okay, let's give you the verse. John 14, 12, 15, 23, 24, and then we're going to skip to 15, um, 5. Watch this. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes in me will do the same works I have done, and even greater works because I'm going to be with the Father. If you love me, obey my commandments. Verse 21 now, we're skipping to 21. And those who accept my commandments and obey them are the ones who love me, and because they love me, my Father will love them, and then I will love them, and I will reveal myself to each one of them. There's greater revelation I'm going to give you if the love of the Father is in you because then I love you and then I reveal more of myself to you. He will reveal himself to the ones that, did you write that down in your notes? You should. He will reveal himself to the ones who love him. Surrender yourself. Be obedient to my commandments. Look at verses 23 and 24. I told you I was going to read it. So Jesus replies, all who love me will do what I say. My father will love them and will come and make our home with each of them. How beautiful is that for Jesus to say, this is my home. And he looks at me. Anyone who doesn't love me will not obey me. And remember, my words are not my own. What, own. what I am telling you is from the father who sent me. Make our home with him. How? Live in responding to in surrender. Let your response look like surrender. And live in that obedience of surrendering. And he makes home in you. Home with you is home in you. Welcome home is not about a building. Welcome home is gathering among the presence that's living in us. So when we put a flashing sign that says welcome home, it has nothing to be catchy to keep you here. It has everything to tell you to welcome to the gathering of people that host the presence of God inside of their hearts, inside of their souls. When I say welcome home, it has more to do with this building. It is we are what? Ambassadors of a whole other world and we are experiencing that world while we're living here. Welcome into this kind of lifestyle. Welcome home. What does that look like? Your response to that looks like we'll surrender your life. Amen. Make your home within you. Here it is, number two. Write this down. Response looks like growth. Response looks like growth. Response looks like what? Chapter 15, verse 15 of John 15, 5. Sorry, John 15, verse 5. I'm not going to get into the whole passage, but he starts to talk about vineyards. I'm the, I'm the vine near the branches. You've ever read that passage? If you haven't, go to John 15 today. John 15 is powerful, but I want to read one verse. Verse 5. Yes. I am the vine, you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Come on. Number two, responding looks like growth. If you're growing, you're responding. If you're stunt, you stop responding. Very easy, to, very easy to measure your growth status in the Lord. How are you growing in Christ? I feel like I'm not growing. Maybe it's because you stopped responding to his greater love over your life. Maybe it's because you're not responding to his great presence. And the reason why we don't respond to great presence is because we're no longer in great presence. Get in presence, respond to that encounter, and in that response of that encounter brings forth, number two, growth. 
How do I know that? If you remain in me, that is what? Presence. Remain in me. If I say you're with me, you're in my presence. If I say I'm with you, I am in your presence. Yes or no? Am I going crazy or is that the English language? Responding looks like growth. Everyone say that with me. Responding looks like growth. Amen. It bears what? Fruit. It produces fruit. It bears fruit. Come on, look at your tree. Are there fruits coming out of your tree? And I'm not talking about the avocado tree because it's almost coming to the season now and whether it's going to produce fruit. I'm talking about your spiritual tree. Are there fruit coming? Is it fruit coming out? If there is no fruit, maybe there's a lack of response to that encounter. Responding looks like growth. How do I know that? Because Samuel one day was sleeping to Eli and three times the voice said, Samuel, Samuel. And he kept going back to Eli and says, Eli, what is it, dude? You keep calling me. He's like, I'm not calling you. Eli, second time you called me, what is it? I'm not calling you. The third time, Eli, what is it, bro? You keep calling me. I'm trying to go to sleep. And Eli hits him in the head. He says, I know exactly what it is. The Lord is calling you. Come on. I know exactly what it is, church. The Lord is calling you. And when you go back to your bed and you hear the Lord call you again, you say, here I am, Lord. Your servant hears. Speak to me. Samuel goes back to his bed. Samuel, Samuel, here I am, Lord. Speak to me. Later on in his life, 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 26. You should take notes. It says, and the child Samuel grew in stature, and not only physically, but also spiritually, and in favor before the Lord and before man. If you honor me, I'll honor you. So Billy Graham was put in the, in the rotunda in, in the Capitol building. Why? Why? Favor before the Lord and before man. There was growth. There should be growth in your life. If you're not growing, you're not responding. Response brings what? Number one. Number two, response brings what? It looks like growth. It looks like surrender. Responding looks like growth. Can I get an amen like you mean it? Oh, I feel that today. Number three. Excited for his word. Number three. Responding looks like, love me. No, no, that's not the answer. That's not the answer, sorry. Love me when I say this though. Responding looks like rejection. You've ever responded to God's call in your life and your family rejects you? Responding looks like rejection. Your best friend rejects you. Your girlfriend rejects you. Responding looks like rejection. How do I know that? John chapter 1, verse 10 through 13, Jesus' very words. He says what? He was in the world and the, he was in, um, John's very words about Jesus. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own did not even receive him. Another translation says, he came to his own people, and they rejected him. Verse 12, but as many have received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God. To those believe his name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God, the will of God. Number two, three. Three. Number three, responding looks like rejection. Why? Because even Jesus, our great example, walked on earth and he went to the town where he was a carpenter at. And many said, take your message and get out of here with all your radicals because we can't have his very own brothers. Like Jude, who eventually wrote the book of Jude. Like James, who eventually wrote the book of James. Told Jesus, get your misfits out of here and take the gospel to Jerusalem. We don't want none of that here. It's in the Bible. It's a true story. Later on, those guys end up dying for their own brother and write two New Testament letters in the Bible. What am I trying to tell you? Man, sometimes it's going to be rejection, but don't worry about it. The world first hated me, so know that it will also hate you. You have a message, and sometimes your message is not going to be liked by everyone. Why? Because it's also called truth, and truth sometimes is hard to hear, but there's grace in truth. Amen? Don't forget that. 
The cost of following Jesus, you should write that down. Matthew chapter 8, verse 19 and 20. Responding looks like, what's number three? Rejection. I'm going to end with with very encouraging one, but I got to throw rejection because God was stirring rejection in my heart. Because I'm sure like me, many of you have felt rejection. But it's okay. Because the one that we just sang to has been rejected. Amen. He was on the cross. One rejected him, one received him. All right. Matthew 8, 19 and 20, it says what? Then one of the teachers of the religious law said, Teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. You better make sure you know what you're saying when you say that. So verse 20, Jesus replied, Foxes have dens to live in, birds have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. I'm not welcomed everywhere I go. That's what he's saying by that. I'm traveling this world and I'm not welcomed everywhere I go. The, the, my, my creation has dens and my creation, they have nests. But I'm, I'm living among my creation and I don't even have a place at times to lay my head. Are you guys getting that? Sometimes my creation here lives better than I do. I, I want you to understand that Jesus is telling them, I'm not necessarily received by everyone. I'm actually rejected by most and received by few. Why do you think he says there are two roads? One is narrow, one is broad. Many are those who walk on the one who is broad, whose end is destruction. But very few are the ones who walk on down the narrow road, whose end is eternal life. Many will reject me and end in destruction. But may, some will receive me whose end will be eternal life. Number three, responding looks like what at times? But in that rejection, there's an acceptance in Jesus. It's my acceptance that has, that has allowed me to receive man's rejection. Hmm. Does that make any sense to anyone? It is my acceptance that has allowed me to live out in man's rejection. I'm okay with that because he's accepted me. Can you say that to yourself? I'm okay with that because he's accepted me. All right, let's go to number four. Number four, responding looks like. So let's go over them. Number one, responding looks like. Number two, responding looks like. Number three, responding looks like. And write this down. Number four, responding looks like hope. Write that. Looks like hope. Some of you came up to this altar call and said, I want hope today. And you know what? Hopefully you found it because you responded. And responding looks like hope. I'm going to end on this point because here it is. Can I go back to John chapter 6 for a moment? I want to share something that happened there. You remember Jesus started to say, um, eat my body and drink my blood. Remember that stuff? Everyone walks away from him. And he turns around and there's his, there's his squad. He's got 12 guys there. I mean, Satan's still hanging out there. But, but, you know, you got, you got, he's got 12 guys. 11 of them are, are the real deal. And he looks at them and he says, hey, fellas, everyone left. Like, the party's over. Peter being Peter stands out amongst them. I want to read to you what he says. It's actually right after everyone rejects him. It's actually found in verse 68 and 69, right after. It says, Peter replies to Jesus. He says, Lord, to whom would we go? I want that to sit on your heart for a moment. 
You have the words that give eternal life. We, me and them, we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. What did you hear Peter say? Seriously, what did you hear him say? I heard it when I read this. I heard Peter say this. Lord, whom would we go to? Where will we go? All I could hear him say is, our hope, our hope is in you. That's powerful, man. Our hope is in you. Our hope is in you. We can't go anywhere and we can't go to anyone. Me and the boys have come to the conclusion that you're the hope that we need and you are the Holy One of God. David was a man with many flaws in the Old Testament. But the Bible is so special because how many of you could admit that you are a man or a woman of many flaws? But you know what I love about scripture? The grace that's found all over it. Where he says he had many flaws, but yet he was a man after God's own heart. And in his flaws, he was still a man who lived from a deep response unto the Lord. How do I know that David comes to a place where in all of his mistakes and all of his sin and all of his errors, he still recognizes that what I've encountered with the Lord is so much greater and, and he humbles himself before the Lord. And I want to read a segment of one of his Psalms. It's actually Psalm chapter 3, verses 2 through 6. And listen to this. Can you stand with me as we, <clears throat> as we read this um, section of the Psalm? Responding looks like, number four, what is it? It looks like hope. So look what David says. So many are saying, God will never rescue him. That interlude there means salah, means pause. Think about that. Verse three says, but you, O Lord, are a shield around me. You are my glory. You are the one who holds my head high. I cried out to the Lord, verse 4. And he answered me from his holy mountain. Pause and think about that. Verse 5. I lay down and I slept, yet I woke up in safety. For the Lord was watching over me. I'm not afraid of 10,000 enemies who surround me on every side. What is David saying? My hope is in the Lord. If I'm going to respond, I recognize that responding. Yes, it looks like surrender. Number two, yes, it looks like growth. Number three, responding also looks like rejection. But number four, responding also looks like hope. (laughs) 
put John 4, uh, 13 and 14 up for a moment. So, there's a Samaritan woman that we talked about. And she's having an encounter with Jesus. And as she's having an encounter, Jesus answers her and as they're talking about this water and they're talking about mountains and where's the proper place to worship and, and well, how do we do this and Jesus just looks at her and says whoever drinks of this water that, and, and he's, I don't know, he's looking at a well, you know, whatever you know, whoever drinks and, and there's, a, there's a Jacob's wells there from the Old Testament that Jacob gave his descendants but he says whoever, and he, you know, think about drawing a bucket and a cup out of it and he says whoever drinks of this water will thirst again that's so true I'm about to finish this and I want another bottle already after this whoever drinks out of this and, and it almost represents like earthly things it almost represents material things it almost represents things that don't pertain to Jesus like if you continue to drink from different sources you're going to continue to be that's why have you noticed that when you sin when you're living in sin there's like this burning passion this desire and it almost overtakes you to continue to what engage into that sin I feel like Jesus is giving us this understanding even from this passage. Because if you continue to drink from that, you're going to be thirsty for that stuff again. You've opened up the door to that and you're going to continue. So whoever drinks from this stuff is going to continue to be thirsty for that stuff. It's not going to just like go away. I'm a good God, so it's going to go away. It's no, you need to respond and surrender and grow. I know that there's hope in it all. So, so Jesus says, whoever drinks from this stuff will thirst again. But look at the next verse. But whoever drinks of the water, he almost like throws the, I, I, I don't want to do it, but, I mean, I want to do it, but I'm not going to do it. He, if, it's almost like he throws the water bottle, you know, the scene, right? Just water spraying everywhere. Maybe he doesn't throw it at her because she's a woman. But throws it. But whoever drinks out of this water that I'm going to give him, they're never going to thirst. The water that I shall give will become in you a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life one translation says a bubbling spring a bubbling spring so seriously what does responding look like to you i feel like most of you so that we could move to another topic maybe next week have to finally hear god's word in your life like respond and this is what responding looks like it looks like surrender. Oh, this is good. If you feel like responding looks like surrender, come up to the front and join me. It's so good. Lord, let this walk be a response. Let this walk be a response. Oh, man, so good. We'll make space. Just like scoot in. Scoot in. Let's, let's sing a song. If you feel like response looks like growth, finally, response looks like growth, come up front too. If that's you, response looks like growth in my life. You're speaking to me, God was speaking to me, come up. Feel free, you don't need an usher to do it, push those chairs back. This is your house, push it back. We want to we wanna, we wanna burn together, we just want to love on this. Rejection, why not? Maybe some of us have been feeling that. If you feel response... Some of you are like, I'm all for, and that's good. That's fine. 
but maybe you're like responding it feels like rejection you two you, you stay up here and you come up here and then before responding it looks like it looks like hope and you need that hope today that's me we, we can't pray for all of you I mean we could but there's no need I feel like the Lord is the Bible says he intercedes and he prays on your behalf already so what I believe is like what can I pray for over you because I believe that the Lord is on his throne and he is releasing such great prayers over your life to the Father that if you would just hear those words you'd be in awe of what you might hear so for those of you that responding looks like rejection like growth like hope or responding looks like surrender I want to sing a song together and I want you to respond I want you to respond to it and say Lord the, ch <laughs> the chase is over Take me to the chambers, you know. Take me to the place, arrest me. The place where I eat your flesh and drink your blood. The place where I receive fountains of living water that I'll never thirst again, but they'll burst from within me. The, the chase is over, I surrender. I find my hope that's in you. Let's sing a song over you today and release, release your, your song to the Lord. Don't stay up here and harden your heart. Don't come up here and just say, ah, maybe I made a mistake. Right now, we're together. Maybe give some arm space and just lift. When the song starts, lift up your arms. And I'm going to be very honest with you because I'm not ashamed of this at all. If you feel like crying and the Lord moves you to cry, I want you to cry. And feel free to cry today in his presence. If you want to get on your knees, you feel free to get on your knees. If you want to give a shout at some point in the song, I want to tell you that right now in this place, we're giving you the order because <laughs> you're not going to be out of order to release a shout if that's going to bring forth that's something great in you. I don't know. But I want you right now to respond to whatever it is that God spoke to you, whatever it is that you're encountering. And whatever it is that you answered according to what responding looks like, you give that to the Lord. And enjoy this encounter. Come on, respond back. So let's go ahead and let's sing a song and let's worship. And, and let the Spirit of the Lord, let it just burn deep within you. Walk out of here falling in love. Walk, walk out of here falling in love. Walk out of here just filled with waters that are flowing from you. Hallelujah. Come on, let's sing a song to him. Let's glorify his name.